Christmas, Southbridge. Well, that is so kind of you. Thank you very much. It will be very merry. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you for coming. If you're in Theater 14, welcome. And if you're listening online, thanks for being here. If you're a guest with us today, we're very thankful for you. We've got, uh, I see some friends here, the Randazzos. They've been traveling around the country sharing Jesus through a hockey ministry. And so we're thankful for them. Thank for each one of you. We'd love to meet some of you if you are a guest and we've uh, never met you before, maybe second, third, fourth time. You've never filled out a connection card. Please do that. We've got a gift for you today that we want to give you. And when you turn the connection card in, you'll find out what that gift is. And then also, we give a gift to someone else as a result of you doing that. You'll find out more information about that when you turn your connection card in out at the Connections kiosk or at the First Time Guest kiosk on your way out. And we've got a gift for everybody today. Today is a day of gifts. Every one of you, when you leave here today, is going to get a DVD. Um, it's only an eight-minute sermon, so don't think we're handing you a 50-minute message here, but it's eight minutes, and what this is, is something for you to use with your family, friends, small group, whoever you hang out with on Christmas Day, and uh, it'll be an eight-minute message, and at the end, there's some questions for you to discuss about the passage that you'll see there, and so whether you're drinking your cup of coffee, hanging out with folks, whatever you're doing in the morning on Christmas, pop this in, because we're not going to be having Christmas service here or anywhere else, uh, for that matter, but you're all invited to our Christmas Eve service, and our Christmas Eve service is not going to be where it was at last year. It's not here at the movie theater, okay? We're just trying to sneak around, and if you can find us, you get to come worship with us <laughs> at the Christmas Eve service. The Christmas Eve service is going to be at, it's called the Worship Center. It's off of Page Road. If you go out here on Briar Creek Parkway, turn left on Glenwood. It's on, you turn left at Page. It'll be, I think that's the first light you come to going up there, but uh, type it into your GPS or whatever type of device you're going to use for that. Um, but it's first right. When you turn on left on Page Road, it's right there. We've got plenty of seats. Love for you to bring your friends, family members, neighbors. It's at four o'clock, so it's before dinner time and uh, before the kids are, you know, all stoked up. Oh, they're probably excited about presents right now, but before they're all ramped up on hot chocolate or whatever it is you give them that night, uh, bring them to the Christmas Eve service. We'll give them sugar there, and uh, you can come, and, and we'll sing some songs about Jesus, talk about the birth of our Savior together, and you hear the gospel and uh, reflect on the gospel meaning at this time of year in our lives. And so we'd invite you to come and be a part of that. And then also, if we're not done with gifts yet, Maybe you signed up to be a part of the restaurant outreach through your community group or as an individual. We're going to be giving some gifts to some folks in our community today. If you're part of that or you want to be a part of that, what will happen is the outreach team is going to be outside when you're leaving today and they've got all these gift bags that are put together and they're designated for different restaurants. And what we're doing, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, is we're giving gifts to folks. Some may never go to church uh, on Christmas time or anything like that. We're trying to take the love of Christ to them, not just make them come to our stuff. And so what we're going to do is we take these gift bags that have already been packed, already been prayed over, and they're designated for different restaurants. The managers know that we're coming to give these, and what we want to do is be generous with them. God gave us his son. He's so generous this time of year, and so we want to demonstrate some generosity in our community, give it to the cooks and the hostesses and the waiters and the waitresses and all the folks that are working at the restaurants around here. So if you signed up for that and you're a team leader for one of those things, just go out there and you can rally your troops together. And here's some things to think about as you go do this. Prayerfully give these gifts. Um, they could have an impact beyond what we would, might think. Uh, a few gifts in a little bag could have in somebody's life that you'd thought about them, that you've prayed for these people. And when you go there, go ahead and go ahead, sit down, have lunch, eat. Let me just tell you a little secret because I've waited tables before. Christians are not notoriously known as generous. <laughs> in fact, uh, we were at the, rest, the restaurant I worked at, um, no one wanted to work on Sundays because Christians were very demanding and they didn't give very much money. And the theory was amongst people that were not church-going people, and I'm rolling up silverware and talking about this, was those people, they're cranky because they gave all their money to the church already, so they don't want to give us any. And so that was the theory that was there. I don't know if that's true in every restaurant here in Briar Creek, but that was the reputation they had uh, where I was at when I was waiting tables. And I remember people that were generous still today. 
don't necessarily know their names. I remember I was telling first service, there was one lady that I waited on around Christmas time. She ordered some shrimp tacos. We were out of shrimp. Just everything was going bad with her table, okay? And I was giving her bad service. Everything was bad. She spent about $20 on her bill. She gave me a $20 tip. I still remember her. See, the generosity leaves an impact. I challenge you, if you have the means to do it, whatever your bill costs, tip that amount today. Be generous. If you can't tip that amount, at least 20% of whatever your, your bill was, be generous with people. And then also another idea is that uh, when the server comes to your table to wait on you, um, say, we're going to pray for our meal in just a moment. Can we pray for you? And let them share whatever they want. They don't want you to pray for them? No, my pastor told me. You, know, you don't have to do that. But, but just at that moment, you give the opportunity to let them know you actually care about them. They're not just bringing you chips and salsa and refills on your drinks. You actually care about them as people. And so just an opportunity for you as you think through those things. And then what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into God's Word. Uh, we've been doing this series entitled Consumed, and I'm just going to pray for us that God will get a hold of our minds, our hearts, and our lives as we open up His Word. Let me pray. Father. We come before your throne, we come before you and are so thankful that you allow us to get glimpses of your glory, glimpses of your grace, glimpses of your mercy. Father, will you pour out your spirit, will you pour out your love, will you please speak? I pray for people that need to come to your son, Jesus Christ, through this time, God, that they would see Jesus like they've never seen him before as we open up the scriptures. And Father, I pray for people that are just in a lull and they're maybe lulled to sleep by sin, lulled to sleep by just life, God, that you'd wake them up, you'd bring revival, will you revive our hearts again, Father God, please. Father God, will you please speak to me and speak through me as I bring these words, Father, that they be the very words you want spoken. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here's something for you to think about. What is normal? John Orberg wrote a book one time called Everyone's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. (laughs) Are you normal? Is your life normal? Who is normal? What is normal? And this has been a concept I've been thinking about this week. I've tried to define normal. Let me tell you something. It's an elusive definition. I even went to dictionary.com, still struggle to define what normal is. So what is normal? We have a hard time grasping what normal is, but it seems to me as I've thought through this, it's very easy to define what abnormal is. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Like you see something and you know when it's abnormal, don't you? Like if you're watching the news and some abnormal thing takes place, you're like, well, that's, that's just not normal. You know, it's not regular. That's not what most normal people do, whatever those people are, but that's not what happens. Like this week I was reading a news article and it was about a man who actually wrote an obituary of his mother so that he could get bereavement payment at work. Thing was, his mom wasn't dead. And can you imagine being mom reading the newspaper that morning? But what happened was people saw this that knew this woman and they started to call the newspaper. I know this woman. I just talked to her. She's healthy. She's totally fine. What is this obituary? The guy was doing it so he could get bereavement payment from work. That's not normal. The mom actually read the obituary and went down to the newspaper to see what was going on. Can you imagine if you were the guy that wrote the obituary for the newspaper? See the picture, look up, here she comes. That's not normal. (laughs) So you know that these are abnormal things. But what is normal exactly? Now some of you will experience abnormal things over the next several days. You'll get some gifts from people. Maybe you'll get some gifts from relatives that don't really know you, so they didn't know what to get you, and they get you like random, like weird stuff. Have you ever received a, a weird gift before? I shared with some of you that I was actually given a buffer wheel for a car not too long ago, last, last Christmas. I shared this with you not too long ago, but the reason why it was given to me is so that I could give back rubs to my wife. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not normal, okay? Uh, a buffer wheel for a car, that's normal. A back rubber, that's normal. A buffer wheel for a back rubber, that's not normal. That's just abnormal. And I was looking this week and I saw several strange gifts that were out there. If you receive one of these, you can pretend like it's normal, but one of them being the ear beanie. I don't know if you've seen these before or not. Do you notice that the model actually has a hat on? You could just pull that down a little bit more. Another one uh, that we saw this week was the hat mask. For those of you who would like to keep your face warm, 
as well as your head. Another one was the iPhone media viewer. We've got the iPhone media viewer there. Do you think it's interesting that they're actually promoting using this thing on a camping trip? Like, who would want to see God's creation when you could have your iPhone inches from your face? And plus, this thing's strapped to your head. That looks pretty normal, right? It's abnormal. We can identify abnormal stuff. What about normal? What is normal? Are you normal? Is your life normal? Do you ever wonder, do you live a normal life? Because all of us have issues. We all have got unique things. We're all distinctly made and have different gifts and have different scenarios that come up. But it's pretty much a normal life for you, right? Do you ever ask yourself if you live the normal life? Do you ever ask yourself the question, is there more? Then maybe you live a normal life. Do you ever go through the week and realize you're going through the motions? You do your routine on Monday. And you do your routine on Wednesday. And you do your routine on Sunday. And it's just what you do. And maybe you live a normal life. Or have you ever gone through a week and actually been able to look back on like a Sunday or a Monday from the week before, you look back at the week and think, what did I even do? What even happened? Because you were so consumed with normal life. You see, life can be a consuming concept, especially when you're in the routine of living the normal life, the mundane life, the daily grind, just the things that you do, the regular life. It consumes our thoughts, it consumes our time, it consumes our money, it consumes our lives. What if, what if God wants a new normal for you and it starts today? What if God actually wants you to be consumed with a new normal? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 26. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke. It's the gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Luke chapter 1. Starting at verse 26, if you don't have a Bible, we give them away. We'd love to give you that gift as well as you leave. There's some that will be over here on this table by the offering box, and you can grab some of the connection table. But Luke chapter 1, and what's happening here is that the doctor Luke, we know he's a physician. We see it in the way that he writes some of the things he writes about healings. Uh, We know that just from history that we know that he is a, a compassionate man, a caring man who's very astute about medical things. And he's decided to write down an orderly account of the life of Jesus Christ. And it's really interesting to me that this physician starts the account off, because every gospel doesn't start with the birth of Jesus, starts the account off with these birth stories. And I don't know if you've ever talked to doctors before, but if you ask them questions like, tell me some of your stories, and you can ask this to police officers, you can ask it to teachers, and you ask it to doctors, they, those people have some great stories. You know why? Because they deal with people. If you ask them to tell you their stories, they don't just tell you like the normal stuff. You don't go to a police officer and say, hey, how was your, tell me some of your stories. How was the week this week? Oh, you know, I just did some paperwork and pushed some stuff around and ate some donuts or whatever you did. They, they tell you about like crazies to kicking doors down and crazy things. My wife was in the medical field. She's got some crazy stories. Luke tells some very, not normal, birth stories here. Very crazy, unique, abnormal birth stories. The first one's about a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were barren. They're probably about in their 60s. They're past past childbearing age. They weren't able to have children. That brought shame on them in that culture. So you had children because they were a blessing from the Lord. You had children because they were going to provide for you economically when you could no longer provide for yourself economically. You had children, and if you weren't able to, it was a sign that there was sin in your life. And so Elizabeth has gone through her life unable to bear children, and then an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to them. Now that seems normal to us, because if we've read the Gospel of Luke before, you read the Bible, it's like God does these supernatural things. God hasn't spoken to people in over 400 years. This isn't normal. 
And an angel shows up and speaks to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. It's real interesting that this is the birth account that comes right before Jesus. When you consider John's life, John wasn't normal. He's a little eccentric, wore camel hair coats and ate locusts and did some of that kind of stuff. But his purpose in his life, his whole mission in life, was to connect people to Jesus Christ so they wouldn't live a normal life, but they would be changed. That's what drove everything he did. And so he's the one who says that he must increase, I must decrease. He must become more important, I must become less. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that will renew you, that will redeem you, that will change you, that will deliver you. He's the one who gets to baptize Jesus Christ. He's the forerunner who comes before Jesus and his birth account comes right before the birth account of Jesus. And then there's another abnormal encounter where that same angel, Gabriel, comes and speaks to a young girl and gives her a totally new normal. Look at it in verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And we saw last week that when you're pledged to be married, it's called betrothal. It's more than engagement, but it's not the same as marriage. It's commitment level the same as marriage, only you can't consummate the marriage. You don't come together in sexual union. It was usually last about a year. And we also know from the customs that a woman that would be pledged to be married would probably be about 13 or 14 years old. So here's this 13 or 14-year-old in Nazareth, young girl. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. (laughs) Not greatly troubled that an angel just appeared to her, greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And here's what's going to happen, verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And we saw that that name means he will save his people from their sins, from Matthew. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. He will be the Messiah. He will be the promised one. He is the Christ. And Mary asked a question that makes sense to her. Would any of us in the situation? How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And here's a sign. You didn't ask for it. Here's a sign. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be barren as in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now it's time for you to go obey, Mary. She has this encounter with this angel. The angel speaks to her, and we know that God still speaks to us today. From the first message in the series from Hebrews chapter 12, he's presently, currently still speaking to us, and this angel comes and speaks to her, and there's no argument about whether this is a new, normal for Mary. But what happens in the midst of this conversation is a new beginning for Mary. Because every new normal starts with a new beginning. That's our first point today. Every new normal starts with, it begins with, it requires a new beginning. And you think about new beginnings, they're, they're a great thing. I mean, who couldn't use a new beginning in some area of their lives? You just think about it. Who could use a new beginning? And you think about simple areas of life. And I was thinking this week, just about different times when you get new beginnings. I remembered when I used to play video games. No time now, not able to do that. Just waste it, you know, it's not what I do. But there was a time in my life when I used to play video games and I was a nerd, okay? I would play games 
just for the sake of racking up stats. I played sports games, specifically football games, and I would actually create characters that were far faster and stronger and uh, better looking than me, and I would put them on there, and I'd put my name on them so I could rush for like 400 yards in a football game, right? And so what would happen is, you think I'm a nerd. I was chilled the first service that uh, our shepherding pastor, Jason Tovey, he's a bigger nerd than me. And since he's not able to speak right now, I'll just tell you why. Uh, what he would do is we were college roommates, and uh, I, I rented a projector from the library, and I'd put it on this white wall in our apartment in college, and I would play football games. He would sit there and watch me play the football games like they were a real game. And so I was very grateful for his friendship and support in that situation. It was a ministry to me, he says. And so he was very quite a blessing, a nerd. And uh, what we would do is we'd start watching those games, and what would happen is sometimes the game wouldn't start the way that I wanted it to. The other team would score a touchdown or something, so I wasn't going to win like 100 to nothing, and so I would push reset <laughs> or cheat, Jason said. It was a, a new beginning. It was a way to start over. Some of you are golfers. You get a mulligan, right? You get to start over. You get to a fresh start where the other one's gone. You get to start over. But then the best start in our lives, the best restart in our lives is God's grace when we get a new beginning in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Old things pass away new things come. We get a new mind. We get a new heart. We get a new life. We are a new creation. And many of us as believers, we hear that and think, yeah, I've done that. But what happens is you get that new beginning once, right? And then you start living the Christian life. And you live a normal Christian life, don't you? Whatever that is. I mean, you're not bad. But you're not like super Christian. It's just kind of normal. What if it's true that God gives new beginnings all the time, that his mercies are new every day, and what if it's true that he wants a new beginning for you today? And he's still speaking, and he wants to speak to you today, and he wants to tell you how he wants a new beginning in a certain area of your life. See, for Mary, she experienced a new beginning and you see it here in this conversation that starts off in these first two verses, verses 26 and 27, which seem like they're just setting, but they're not. They're very strategic by the author of this gospel, by Luke, because the doctor is very meticulous in how he puts these things down. And he's not just telling us where this happens, but it's significant that he says, in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Nazareth. If you know much about Nazareth, Nazareth is a small town. It's an insignificant town. Probably maybe 300 people there, maximum 2,000 people there at this time. So if you're around a small town ever, you know what this is like. They don't have the amenities. They don't have all the opportunities that everyone else would have. And so this is a poor town. In fact, it's so insignificant, it's never even mentioned in the Old Testament. So who would expect that the Savior of the world would be born here? It's not that this town didn't exist. They found it. They know where it's located. It just wasn't thought very highly of. In fact, you see that even with Jesus' own disciples. When Jesus comes to the earth, he starts to call these men to come follow him. And there's one guy, Philip, he wants to go tell his friend Nathaniel about the Savior has been born. Now remember, people have been awaiting a Savior. They're under Roman oppression. Life is tough. Things are bad. They want a deliverer. They want a rescuer. And they've been awaiting this Messiah, this Christ to come. And so he comes and he says, the Christ is here. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's a straight shooter. Look at what he says in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Like, Nazareth? Nazareth wasn't ranking in the top five places to live in Israel, okay? When the Forbes put out that issue back then, that wasn't happening. Okay, people didn't want to, no one, nothing came from Nazareth. Why does God go to Nazareth? You think it was a mistake? Is his GPS off? He was on his way to Jerusalem, ended up over here in the Nazareth. And God had a plan. And his plan was to go to this little poor town and come to this 13 or 14-year-old girl. Poor girl. You see, the angel comes to her and speaks to her. She's probably living a normal life, doing the normal stuff. In fact, Kent Hughes says it like this when he describes Mary's life. If it wasn't for this encounter, 
says, from all indicators, her life would not have been extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her. A nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That was Mary's situation. Do you remember people like that in a small town and they seem so insignificant and the dreams even, they're just not the same. We showed a movie here. We rented this theater and uh, went on a weeknight and talked about, and uh, the movie was called Project 58 or 58 the film I think it was, and we talked about how as evangelical Christians we actually could end world poverty and the extreme world poverty. By that I mean people that are dying because of lack of water, lack of food, some of those things. And there was a documentary that we played and they went around and they did interviews with different people that were in these types of small towns, very poor places. There was one, it was in Africa, there was a little girl they were interviewing and she was sitting outside of her home, which was basically a hut, and she's sitting outside of it and they asked her about going to bed hungry. And she said that, I'm used to going to bed hungry. It doesn't bother me that much because it's happened so often, but my little siblings, they have a hard time with it. They cry a lot. And in the background you hear these kids crying and the, the interviews that stuck out to me were these kids. And one of the kids they interviewed was in India. His dad worked in a, a rock mine where you break rocks up. And, and, and he said, I wish I didn't have any dreams. Because they're not going to come true anyways. They're nobodies. And nothing towns in the middle of nowhere. And that was where Mary was at. But that wasn't a mistake by God. That was strategic. You see God do that all the time throughout the scripture. And who he picks to use. He uses the humble to bring the proud lowly. He uses the foolish to confound the wise. He uses a shepherd boy in the Old Testament, to deal with a giant who's tormenting a nation. He doesn't choose the handsome king that all the people picked. He doesn't choose all the older brothers. See, David had a bunch of older brothers. But he chooses this little shepherd boy who has a slingshot and a stone. He uses humble things. In the New Testament, he uses a little boy's lunch that we never even know his name. He's got five loaves of bread and a couple fish. We don't even know who that kid was. And he feeds thousands of people to this boy. This is God's way. This is how he does this. And here he chooses this young girl, 13, 14 years old. And he's going to bring salvation history through her womb. A little nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And some of you wonder if God could do something in your life. And you've got reasons why he wouldn't, right? Like you're too bad. You've done too many bad things. You've got this history and this past. And if you knew and if somebody else knew, it's so bad. Let me tell you something. You can't out-sin the cross. God cannot forgive whatever you can sin. His grace is amazing. And some of you may think to yourself, well, it's not that I'm so bad. I'm just, just normal. I mean, maybe you became a Christian as a kid. You're four years old or eight years old, and, and you're not like super Christian, and you're not like bad person. You just kind of cruise down them. You're just, just kind of just normal. And so that's the life that you're supposed to live, right? Like, you've got to have a dramatic story if God's really going to use you, like an Apostle Paul conversion story or somebody that was hooked on drugs, and you think of your story, you think I was four. <laughs> I mean, what? Awana, I, did, I skipped Awana one time. I, mean, I didn't go to Sunday school. <laughs> well, what did I do that was so bad? I wasn't packing heat. I wasn't hooked on drugs. Sometimes I forgot to take my vitamins, but you know, I wasn't, it wasn't as bad of a kid. And so you're just kind of normal. You know, great news. God goes right to that normal. And that's what he uses because through our weaknesses, his strength is made known. Not because you're so talented or attractive or smart or all those things. He chooses a normal girl in the middle of nowhere in a nothing town. And she is blown away by this. How could you ever do this, God? And the angel tells her in the next part of this passage, 
The angel says to her, greetings. Hello, Mary. How are you, Mary? It's a very normal greeting. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Me, highly favored? Who, me? And she's greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what what does this mean? And, And then the angel says to her again, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Verse 28 and in verse 30. It's this favor. You have favor with God. You are highly favored. Now, who do you think of when you think of people that are highly favored? Celebrities? People that you've heard of maybe that have uh, uh, all the opportunities given to them. They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth. People with lots of money. Athletes. You know, people that they play a game. They get millions of dollars given to them. People who can buy islands. People with a bunch of skills and abilities. You've ever met people that everything that they do, it just seems to work out? Like everything you touch turns to gold. Just life's easy for them, right? Like you just kind of do stuff and it happens and you're always successful. Those are the people that are highly favored, right? How many people think of themselves when I say to you, who's highly favored? Because the word that's actually used here for favor, it's grace. The angel's saying to Mary, you're greatly graced. You're given a great amount of grace. Don't worry, Mary, you found grace with God. Do you know who's greatly graced according to the New Testament? It's everyone who's received Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1. It's praise to God because of great grace, his glorious grace, which he's freely given us and the one he loves. It's everyone who's received Jesus Christ. And Mary's about to be given the gift of Jesus Christ. It's not because Mary's so notable. It's not because of where she's from. It's not because she's never done anything wrong. It's not because she's super Christian. It's not because she was so bad and this is a dramatic experience. It's because God chose to extend grace. And when God chooses to extend his grace in our lives, each one of us becomes one of the highly favored When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's demonstrated his grace in your life. But here's the problem for many of us. We don't really understand grace. We know it's something we want. We know it's a good thing, but we don't truly grasp God's grace. Because grace is the gateway to a new beginning. And if you don't grasp God's grace, you've got to question whether or not you truly know what it is that God wants you to know about your life. Many of us, we have a hard time with grace. We just think it's that we get away with our sins. It's like my kids. My kids will say to me sometimes when they get in trouble, Dad, be gracious with me. The other day, my one daughter, I told her, I said, if you do that again, then you're going to end up going to bed early tonight. She does it again, believe it or not. Your kids, I'm sure, would never do that. My daughter did this. Came time for bedtime, and uh, I said to her, you're going to bed early? And she says, no, Dad, be gracious with me. (laughs) Is that because she understands the weight of her disobedience and how as her father I can't lie to her and I've got to keep telling her the right thing and I have to follow through with the punishment in this deal? No, she wants to get away with what she did wrong. That's what she views grace as. That you just, I want it. I know it's a good thing. I know it's something that I want and when I get it, I get away with the bad stuff that I did. And many of us, that's how we view God's grace. And what we don't realize is the weight of our sin. That God's grace wasn't free. In fact, God's justice had to be satisfied in order for us to ever receive grace. That Jesus Christ had to take on the full wrath of the Father in order for us to know grace. And until we grasp the weight of our sin, we don't really understand grace. As long as it is we think it's just us getting away with something, we make grace cheap and it's not what it truly is. It's like the people in John chapter 8 that really learned grace. You can read John chapter 8 on your own. You read beginning in verse 1, and what happens is Jesus is teaching. He's incredibly popular at this point in his ministry. In fact, in John chapter 6, they wanted to make him king by force, but he didn't want to be the kind of king they wanted him to be. And now he's teaching in this temple, 
And the people are gathered around and they're listening. And so he sits down to begin teaching. And all these people are there and they're listening to him teach. And while he's teaching, the people who have the hardest time understanding grace come running in the room, the religious people. And so can you imagine if I'm here teaching you today and in the midst of the lesson, a whole bunch of pastors come running in and there's one woman amongst them. And she's half-dressed because they caught her in the very act of adultery. So she's got a sheet wrapped around her and these men, they bring her up and they stand her before the crowd. They make her look at the crowd. You know what Jesus does? He bends down and he starts to play in the sand. He doesn't look at them. And I don't know why, the text doesn't tell us why, but I wonder if the reason why Jesus does that is because he doesn't want to bring that woman more shame by staring at her. If he doesn't want to bring shame to the men because he knows what's about to happen. If he knows what's about to happen in the hearts of the crowd. And he stands up, he says some famous lines. He says, he who's without sin, you cast the first stone. So there's these men that are standing there and you know what they said to Jesus? The law of Moses says that if someone's caught in the act of adultery, they should be stoned to death. And they've got the stones in their hands and then Jesus says, you who's without sin, you cast the first stone. And then he kneels down and he starts to play in the sand again. <laughs> what's he doing? And then one by one, each of those men, they drop those stones and they leave. And the text doesn't tell us whether the crowd leaves or not, but I got to imagine the crowd had to come to the realization too that who are they? Think about their own sin and the weight of their own sin. In John chapter 8, it says that Jesus stood up and he talks to this woman. He says, is there anyone left to condemn you? And she says, no. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and live a new life. Leave your life of sin. Go live a new normal. And see, what happens is these people, they grasp their grace. At one time, the religious people thought that woman would be the only one that would need grace. But they grasp their own sinfulness. And what it is to truly be separated from God because of the weight of our sin that would require a Savior to go to the cross and experience the most gruesome death ever and then defeat that death. That's grace. That's the gateway to a new beginning. And a new beginning is what happens for everyone that experiences a new normal. Do you understand God's grace? You see, a new beginning is not all that happens when you get a new normal. There's also a new future. See, a new normal leads to, ends up having, no matter what, a a new future. And you think about how different Mary's future is. She was a nobody in the middle of nowhere in this nothing town. Best case scenario, she travels a few miles away from her hometown. Best case scenario, she has a bunch of poor children. Best case scenario, she has a humble marriage. Best case scenario, she dies like thousands of other people. You know, normal. But everything changes for Mary. And up until this point in the passage, the angel hasn't even told her that she's going to have a child. She's just blown away by God's grace. But then verse 31, he begins to predict the future for her. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called the Son of God is another way to say that. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. We saw that from Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the line of David in Jesus' life. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary, here's what you're told. Uh, You're going to give birth to a child. (laughs) She's a virgin. She's never been with a man. You're going to give birth to a child, and he will be great. Me? Great? Not only will he be great, he'll be through the line of King David. So he's going to be a king. Not only is he going to be a king, he's going to reign forever and ever. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's clear to Mary now at this point 
Not only are you going to have a child as someone who's never been with a man, how does that happen? But you, Mary, are going to give birth to the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ that everyone's been expecting. And then she says this, how will this be since I have never been with a man? I think God graciously explains it in detail and then gives the simple answer. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the Holy Spirit, anytime something's going to happen in this, the Holy Spirit has to do the work. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The glory of God will surround you and something supernatural is going to take place. Not something sexual, something supernatural. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And here's a sign. You didn't ask for it, but the sign is this. God's still doing miracles. He's bringing redemption in the life of Elizabeth, who was barren. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren as in the sixth month. And here's the real answer, Mary. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's true for you in your life, that nothing is impossible for God? As you think about it, what we talk about right now, we're talking about the virgin birth. It's pretty hard to believe, right? We're talking about God giving birth to himself, essentially. He's going to put on human flesh. He's going to live in this life just like that we'll live this life where he's going to grow in stature. He's going to grow in wisdom and he's going to know what it is to be hungry. He's going to know what it is to get sick. He's going to know what it is to be tempted. He's going to know what it is to be heartbroken. He's going to know emotions. He's going to know all these things that we know, but he's going to be fully God at the same time. Could read minds, could fix any circumstance at any moment, could change things, could walk on water, could feed five, he could do all those things at the same time, and he will die on the cross for our sins, and then he will raise himself from the dead. That sounds kind of impossible, doesn't it? We believe that. We believe things like creation, really? There was nothing, he spoke, there's something. (laughs) We've never seen that before. But we believe that? We believe that he could part the Red Sea, we believe that he could walk on water, we believe that he could raise other people from the dead? But do we believe that he could reconcile our marriage? Do we believe that he can fix our issues? Do we believe in the midst of our issues, if he doesn't fix them the way that we want them to, that he's still sovereign, he's still in control, that he's still God, and that he still brings himself glory by doing a work in us rather than fixing everything around us? See, do you believe that God can do the impossible? Because if you do, do you understand that changes everything? That's a new normal. Do you believe that God could do the impossible in your life and through your life? Do you believe that God could do the impossible in us and through us as a church? Do you believe he could do that in the city? Do you understand how different things would be if we actually believed this stuff? Do you realize the difference we'd make in this city? This city could be transformed. Do you believe that God actually took 120 people and transformed the world? That's what the scripture tells us. And, and here it is. Last week we had over 800 people attend Southbridge Fellowship. Can you imagine how different just the city would be if 800 people would actually believe the stuff that God said and wouldn't just live a normal Christian life, but would embrace the life that God actually has for them? Can you imagine how different this place would be? Do you know what it would look like? It'd look a lot like Acts chapter 2, where people were caring for one another, loving one another, like Christ loved them where people were willing to give up their own resources so that other people's needs were met, where people were actually concerned about what was happening in their city. And so it would look like us reading the newspaper, not so that we could know more information or just strange headlines, but we would read it so that we could see needs in our community. It would mean that we would look at people like sheep without a shepherd that are beaten and broken. And then regardless of what front they put on, you know, there's things that are going on in their hearts. It means that we would pray with one another and we would pray in a way that we believe that God would actually show up and do something. Not just uh, what we're supposed to do, a little routine that we go through, kind of the normal prayer life. You see, you read the book of Acts and God shook the world through their prayers. We'd 
not only love one another and care for one another and meet one another's needs, but we would transform this world through love because we've experienced, because we've grasped grace, then we want everyone else to understand what we understand. That's what it is for God to do the impossible. He can do that. You know what happened to us as a church? Forget doing church. I mean, seriously. Programs, entertaining people for an hour. Who cares about that? We come together and we surround ourselves around the teachings of the apostles, whether it's what you want to hear or it's not what you want to hear because it's what transforms us. It's the truth from God that we need to know. And you know what? We do whatever it takes to reach a city for Jesus Christ, even if it looked different than anything anyone else had ever done. That's what would happen if we would actually believe the scriptures. And you know what Mary says? I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Okay, Mary, it's not just lip service. You go live this life out now. There's a new normal for you, and you know what she says? Whatever you want that to be. It's surrender. It's submission. It's coming before God. Whatever you want that to be. May it be to me. I'm just a servant. I'm here to do what you want me to do. May it be to me as you have said. You know what Mary's saying here? I'm willing to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. She's saying, I love Jesus more than I love my mother and father. What are they going to think? I love Jesus more than I love my husband, Joseph. So what's he going to think? I love Jesus more than I love my reputation. So what's going to happen here? I love Jesus more than I love my own life because she might lose her life. If she's accused of adultery, she could be stoned to death. She's saying, I love you. I love your grace, highly favored one. I love your grace more than I love my own life. I love your love more than I love my life, more than I love my plan. She's truly ready to follow Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes for us, are we? Are you willing to really say, may it be to me as you have said, to surrender to God, to receive his grace, and to whatever you want to do in my life, in my financial life, in my family life, in my work life, in my church life, in my sex life, in whatever life you have that you live, are you willing to let God speak into that and whatever he says goes? That's what it is to surrender to him. If you're willing to do that, you're willing to follow him. If you're not, you're not. And here's some newsflash. He's already spoken into all those areas. So wives, are you willing to respect your husband? May it be to me, as you have said. Husbands, are you willing to love your wife like Christ loved the church and give your life for her? Because he's already spoken that. May it be to me, as you have said. Are you willing to, as followers of Jesus, are you willing to give generously of your time, your talent, your finances? Because most Christians aren't. Most Christians don't even do basic level Christianity, tithing. And we come with all reasons and explanations of why we don't do it, but only about 2 or 3% of people will actually do this type of thing, or only, they'll only give about 2 or 3% of their income, I mean. Well, God already clearly says, may it be to me as you have said. <laughs> what about this? Sharing the gospel with other people. Go, make disciples of all nations. 50% of Christians will share the gospel with one person a year. The other 50% won't share the gospel with anybody. We're not truly there. We live normal Christian lives. That's, a, that's an American deal, by the way. That's not a biblical deal. See, God has a new normal for us. And if we're not willing to submit to that, then let me tell you what we'll live. Normal Christian lives. That's what we're destined for. So are you ready for a new normal? Let's pray. Father God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. We know that you speak. That you speak through the blood of your son, Jesus. You speak through your word. You speak through other people. And God, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray by the power of your spirit you'd speak into each individual life right now that will hear my voice in this prayer. 
I pray for those who need to trust your son Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that you'd put the weight of their sin on them right now. Help them feel that. Feel the conviction of their sin and draw them to you so you give them your gift of grace. So you'd show them what your love is. Pour your love out on them. Give them a relationship with your son Jesus today. Some of you here may need to begin a relationship with Jesus and say just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, even right now, if you want to call upon Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can do that. And simply what you need to do is acknowledge your sin. That's something we all have, but you acknowledge what that is and what it is. It's a weight that's separating you from God. And he wants to take that away from you. He wants to take that sin upon the cross and wash you clean of it. So you call upon Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you and ask for your forgiveness. Ask for grace. Ask for a new life from him. And he offers you that through his resurrection. If you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your savior today, you can pray a simple prayer like this. You can even pray it in your seat as I pray it right now. Father God, I admit my sin and my need for a Savior. And God, I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. And I want to receive him to be my Savior right now. I want to receive your grace. Thank you for giving me new life and a new beginning. And Father, I pray for those that have placed their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ that need another new beginning, that need your mercies today, that need your grace to help them step out of sin, that need to help them step into a new step of faith, that need to bring them out of a normal Christian life into a new life with you. Please do that. Please do an amazing work in our hearts today. And don't ever let us be the same. In Jesus' name I pray.